Welcome to episode 80 of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Grizzik. Samantha Ming of the Events Podcast. Why don't you tell us about the events coming up this week? Hi, Drew. Happy to be back on the show. Well, we have an exciting week of events for you guys this week. On Tuesday, we have How to Find Your Ideal Co-Founder by Spring. If you have an amazing business idea but not sure how to find co-founders, this is the event to check out. It's at 5.30 at CodeCore. On Wednesday, we have three events for you. The first, we have Disrupt HR. It's like a TED Talk, but under five minutes for all things human resources. This is at 6 p.m. at the Science World. The second event is a data visualization event called What Musicians Can Teach Analysts and Reporting Professions. You can catch this presentation at 6.30 in downtown. The third event is Crushing It on Social Media. So if you're starting up a business, social media is actually a great way to create a following for your new products or services. You can learn more at 7 p.m. at the History Office. Moving on to Thursday, we have two events for you to choose from. If you're interested in cloud security, you can attend the Ransomware and Cloud event at 6.30 at CoCore. But if you're more interested in regular expression, you can attend the 100 Days of Code in the Surrey Code Camp at 6.30. The weather forecast for Saturday is projected to rain, but don't just sit at home when you can learn about sales at the Spring Sales Workshop at 10 a.m. Also at 10 a.m., you can learn about Google Analytics at BrainStation. Both of these events are paid, so you will need to register to attend. And that's this week's top selection of events you should check out. And we're here with special guest Melanie Yuen of Women in Tech World, or WinTech. Thanks for joining us, Melanie. Thanks for having me on. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved with Women in Tech World? So I come from about 10 years experience in uh, the federal government, and um, I was doing things in uh, HR, executive correspondence, lots of different programs around the environment. And um, about halfway through that, I went to school for uh, health sciences, and I absolutely fell in love with this idea of working with communities. Um I loved going in. I did this one course where I went into a school uh, with grade sevens and I got to do kind of a community-based research type project. Uh, I talked to them about, about dreams and aspirations, learned about them, helped them develop their, their personal skills on talking to people about what they want to do. And I just, I loved that. I loved going into a community and talking about what they needed, they wanted to learn about and then helping them develop the skills to talk about it. Sounds like a really sort of pivotal experience in your career trajectory. So you said you were with government for about 10 years. Yes. What sort of roles were you doing before having that experience working with uh, seventh grade children? Um, it was admin experience. I had, so I'd always kind of had this interest in advocacy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was about 16 years old, I started working with some local kids on putting together um, punk concerts every two weeks, um, Very over cool. in Lynn Valley. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And it's super fun. So, um, and I kept doing that over the years. I was a fundraising team leader, uh, for MS Society for, um, Camp Carry. Um, and I loved working in the, that space. And then when I was at university, I started working for poverty reduction action committee as well. So I always kind of had this advocacy background and loved the community aspect. Honestly, the government was just like, I got into it at 18. And it was just something to do and it lasted for 10 years. <laughs> Um, and it I was, hear government jobs are pretty stable. <laughs> They're very stable. Yes, very hard to leave. Um, but when I finished my degree, 
I'd set this intention that I was going to leave because I'd realized that the nine to five thing was not working for me. I, I loved the experiences I gained and the people I was working with, but it just wasn't me. Just wasn't enough work. So you thought you wanted to get involved in the startup world. (laughs) Yes. Well, well, sort of. Yeah. So what I was doing at the time is I was writing for a few different publications. Um, one of them was called loweralonsdale.ca. And the owner of that particular publication was Paul Broussard. He's a, he's an entrepreneur here in Vancouver and has been for about 20 years. Um, so I sat down with him one day and said, you know, I have 10 years experience in, in government. I've worked in nonprofit charities, but I know nothing about making money and I would love to learn. He goes, cool. Where should we start? I'm like, no, 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 no. I know, I know nothing. Like we need to start at ground zero. Uh, and about two hours into that conversation, he said, Hey, I would love if you join my team at Elevator Ventures. Um, are you, are you keen to do that? It took me about six months to get up the guts to really leave the government and jump into this world of startups and entrepreneurialism. <laughs> Uh, but I finally did it and I joined kind of on a, I knew I wanted to not no longer do admin work. So I said, I will do about 40% of my time admin and the other 60% I want to work in communications and kind of grow my skills there. So for about a year, I did that. And about a year in, it was decided, Hey, you're really good at project management. Why don't you try that? Try that out. I was working with developers and designers on a lot of different website projects and web app and such, which was totally new to me and <laughs> amazing and difficult. And I'm happy I did it, but learned I don't want to be a project manager. <laughs> yeah, I guess that comes with this own sets of problems and, and difficulties. And yeah, stuff. yeah. But it was really fun. And um, about a year and a half into working at Elevator, I started doing some consultant work. And we, oh, and it came up that I realized I hadn't been doing that advocacy community engagement piece for a couple of years at that point. And that's like you say, that it had been a pivotal moment for me in my career trajectory. And I'd realized back then, back in 2014, that I wanted to work with community. And so I spent this year and a half kind of learning about the startup community here in Vancouver and then realized that's great that I've learned about it, but I'm not really in it. Um, and I would vo- vocalized that a bit. And so Women in Tech World was um, talking about recruiting volunteers. And um, again, Paul had seen, he had a friend working at Women in Tech World. So he saw a listing on LinkedIn and said, hey, Melanie, I think this would be interesting for you. I know you're interested in getting involved in the community. So I kind of jumped at that chance and I, uh, I loved it. Like I found as soon as I started working for women in tech world, it's like I'd found my people. They are so driven and, um, they have this advocacy piece. They're really all about community, which I love. And, um, it was a perfect fit. I just, about a week into working with them, I took over a role as co-chair of communications at the time. So that was uh, back in January of this year. And, um, it was, it was a roller coaster. It was, we had two months to build up our following for Women in Tech Week. And, um, I learned so much along the way. We grew our social media following from zero to, I actually don't know how many. We have our stats somewhere lying around, but, but quite a lot. We, we found amazing partners and sponsors and did the 22 events in seven cities across North America. What exactly is Women in Tech Week? It was a week of events. that that allow for not only people to come together but also to to um to learn so we had lots of different types of events and it was really to promote women in tech in uh, canada in north america uh to celebrate the successes and to um to celebrate this uh this community of collaboration um so for instance the first event we had was a kickoff breakfast and uh, we had a woman come in from Boeing who was quite high up in leadership, uh, in an engineering role, I believe. Um, 
and she did a panel discussion on what it was like to grow her team, which actually has a lot of women on her team. And she was saying that she hadn't actually intentionally done that. It had just kind of happened organically, but was this a beautiful thing? And her teammates who were there sitting in the audience said, yes, it's, uh, it's been amazing to be part of something that there are 50% or more women on the team because then we all, then we, we see a difference in the decision making process that's being made. So that was kind of like, so there was those opportunities for discussion around things. Um, but then we had, uh, an awards night where we were able to give out, um, you know, lifetime achievement awards to women in tech and really celebrate what people are doing. And then we had, uh, our tech summit where we had some really amazing speakers come in, um, and talk about a range of, a range of, uh, things that pertain to this community. And so we got to do that kind of learning together piece. But then there was also oh, a really cool thing we did was, um, youth tech day. So that's, uh, that's a piece that's really important to me. As I'd mentioned, I'd worked with younger young people in the past with grade seven in the past. And I love the idea of fostering these, these dreams and aspirations and this understanding that you can do anything you want to and to think outside the box. So we had this youth tech day where, uh, it was kind of like a, a, a world cafe style event where we had, um, leaders, in, um, from the women in tech community come in and they all like kind of sat around a room and talked and answered questions in a really like authentic way for, for kids, uh, for, well, I shouldn't say kids. <laughs> it was, uh, it was grade eight to twelve, so not not kids, but um, it was it was really cool, and we did some like uh, teaching about um, uh, working out the bugs in software and and things like that. So it was it's a really cool it's a really cool initiative, um, and we're really happy we did it. Uh, but at this at, after Women in Tech Week, we realized that we had all this momentum, and um, so many people were saying, "Okay, this is amazing that you did this, but what next?" So like, can we have can we have events every month? Can we keep, can we keep this up? Um, and that's when the leadership team, the co-founders, Elena Ugai and Alicia Close sat down together for about a month and realized, uh, this new plan for Women in Tech Week, or Women in Tech World, I should say. And what is that new plan? <laughs> and also, I guess there's a, uh, a Kickstarter campaign launched? Yes. Yes. So those two things, actually, those two questions completely tie together. Um, so, uh, Elena and Ali, decided that, yes, we were going to move forward, we're going to move away from the Women in Tech Week kind of model and move into an annual an a annual programming and um, really evolve our presence and go from uh, Canada to to an international kind of organization within the next five years. Hence the Women in Tech world. world. Yes, exactly. Um, so the, but we, what we realized that the first thing we need to do was to really understand Canada. So uh, 2017 is all about fact-finding and understanding where are we at right now, um, from a, a quantitative perspective, what are the numbers, but also what are the lived experiences of women across Canada who are in the tech industry? Um, I realize tech industry is a very broad term. Um, <laughs> we've, we've been uh, really rounding out what is our definition of the tech industry, um, or of women in tech, I should say. And we have a broad understanding of what that is for women in tech world, and it's very inclusive and uh, covers everything from... Um, from the traditional roles in development and engineering to uh, more supportive roles and roles in like law and media and people who are working in tech startups and investors and and um, all of those kind of support role staff. So for um, what you'd mentioned, the Kickstarter, uh, that's our fact-finding mission here in Canada. It's called Driving WinTech. And what it is, is a two-month tour across Canada. Uh, we're going to be going to um, all of the capital cities, a lot of, uh, as many tech hubs as we can go to, um, as well as really anywhere we're invited to with the goal of putting on 50 different events um, or or forums. And I can dive into that 
in a bit, um, and reaching about 10,000 people along the way. Um, and we're going to be inviting people from all levels of government, uh, academia, industry, um, community members who fall under um, a more specified definition of women in tech. So as I was saying, we do have a broad definition within the organization, but for the interest of research, we do have to narrow it down a bit. So what's the, um, what are some of the specific goals of the two-month tour across Canada? Yeah. Um, so we're wanting to understand what are, if there are any, what, and we assume there are, there's lots of anecdotal type evidence, um, but what are the barriers that women might be facing? So for instance, it, in some areas in, in Canada, we know that there's a lot of women getting into tech roles but then they don't seem, then they seem to be leaving quite quickly. Um, so there's this retainment issue. And why is that? So there's lots of different theories about why that might be. And we want to figure out what it actually is. What are the actual stories from the actual people um, about what are some barriers? Where are the gaps? What are the resources that you do have? And also very importantly, what are the successes that you've had? Um, and the goal of this is to create a national report that's going to cover this um, beautiful, this beautiful, our beautiful um, picture, our beautiful snapshot this beautiful snapshot of what women are experiencing in the tech industry across Canada, um, as well as create a set of guidelines for how we can create informed decisions on uh, policy and programs. So we're going to present this to all levels of government. It's going to be widely shared within the community um, just to help kind of guide better decision-making processes that are actually informed by the community members living these experiences. Everything comes down to the community that you're in. And this is the reason we're doing community-based research, because when you go into a community, we, like we can look from the outside and see, uh, this is what the stat, these are what the stats say, and you read these articles. Um, but it's not until you actually go into the place and say, hey, what's going on here? And why are you doing it this way? And is it working for you? Because, because, you know, maybe, maybe things are working that from the outside, it doesn't look like they are. And it's one of those things where you have to, every community is completely different, even within Canada. And we can't think of Canada as one large community. There's so many different uh, people. I was just talking to someone from Prince George who's trying to get, or trying to foster this tech community where she is so she can do things like pitch nights, which is something that we do down here um, to help startups with practicing their pitch. And she was saying, you know, I love the community here in Prince George, but... I'm so jealous of your resources in Vancouver and you're able to talk to all these people and you know who to talk to and, and it just seems like there's so many more, there's so many, there's so much more access to resources, predominantly people she was talking about there. Um, which was really interesting and she was trying to talking about their own, uh, issues that they come across in, in Prince George. And so it was interesting for me to listen to, to try to get into the shoes of someone who's in a very different community. And I think that's going to be one of the beautiful things, something that I'm the most excited about, about this tour going and talking to people, getting into their shoes and just hearing what their actual experiences are like, what are those challenges, and then trying to work together to find out, okay, so we're not going to create the same model in every single place, but how do we create a model that really works for you and it's going to be successful and it's not going to be a cookie cutter, obviously, and that's why we're going, that's why we need to go into, or not need to, that's why we're just going to go into every community um, that we can to talk about how to create these these really successful and meaningful um, collaborative groups of people. So what would success look like? For me, success would look like getting to go on this tour. So that's the, <laughs> obviously we have a Kickstarter for a reason. Definitely. Um, so we need $30,000 just to get on the road, which is why the Kickstarter is set at $30,000. Um, and that literally, I'm, so I'm going to be on the road. I'm one of the people going, as is uh, Ali Close, one of the co-founders. And going, 
So that means we get to go to all of the capital cities. We might be able to go off the beaten path a bit. We will likely be camping and couch surfing the whole way and <laughs> be slightly unkempt. Um, but at least we'll be on the road and talking to people. Obviously, anything above and beyond $30,000 up to $50,000 is our goal. Will help us be able to get to more of the remote areas. For instance, we really want to get up to the Yukon because um, we have some connections up there and heard that it would be um, that they would like to have us come up there. So we'd like to go to the Yukon. We'd like to be able to bring print resources, which is a really important part of community-based research. So going in person is one of the gold standards of community-based research, but also being able to provide resources and to be able to document the experience is really important. So we want to be we want to be able to do our own podcast um, for the to document the experience as we go. We also want to, I want to be able to write about it, coming from a writing background, um, which will be uh, probably the easiest of the documentation um, projects. Uh, it would be amazing if we could do a documentary to have some some more live feed type ways of capturing what's going on. So you asked me what the success looks like. <laughs> Tangent. So uh, success would look like to me being able to go on the road um, and then being able to facilitate these conversations with the people who... Um, really need to be there. So it's very important to me that we're able to ensure that that we have a really good cross-section in the room. So we have government, we have industry, we have academia, we have um, the people who should be there, the people who want to be there. So how we're trying to facilitate that is by having provincial ambassadors in each province who are going to create advisory committees and pull together these people who should be in the room. And then it would be beautiful to me to be able to walk out of the event at the end of our at the end of the day having felt like we had created some connections, that we'd really learned something, that we had created something together. So for instance, um, I was when I was working with Poverty Reduction Action Committee, they did a BC tour that was similar but smaller scale. And they uh, and as part of each of their workshops, they created each person created a flag and then at the end of the day, or the end of the tour, they had a flag of every single place that they'd been in across BC and it created this beautiful image of working together and collaboration. So I think it would be amazing to have something like that as well. So success to me would be to have to go on the tour to to get the knowledge to, to get the knowledge that we're looking for um, and to create these meaningful and lasting connections. So the knowledge that you'll get from that trip, uh, why is that important and what would that lead to? For me personally, uh, why it's important is because I really do believe in having that more substantial evidence to be able to present to decision makers. And there hasn't been any research of this magnitude done in Canada before. There's been smaller scale qualitative and quantitative research done. There's been anecdotal evidence, but there's nothing really tying it all together. So for me, coming from my research background in health science, it's very important to be able to have to say, okay, so this is where we are right now. This is our benchmark. Um, so, for instance, um, we've seen in the last 20 years, women have, they own a very small piece of the pie in terms of occupation in the tech industry and in computer science in particular, that's actually gone down and we don't know why. Um, so we have this benchmark of where we are today, where we've been for the last 20 years because the Stats Canada, Stats Canada has done all their surveys, so we have all that kind of evidence. And now we can kind of look at, okay, where are we at today? What are we experiencing? And then use this report that we're creating in order to work with government and organizations to create informed policy and programs. And then we can look at it again, you know, it's because this is a, this is the point with research, you always are learning more. So we'd come back in, you know, five to 10 years and say, what have we learned since we did this report in 2017? And where have we come since then? So to me, for like, from the research perspective, that's really important to me. 
And then another important thing to me is the lasting connections that we're going to create. I feel like there's so many different organizations who are doing women in tech specific type of uh, activities. And it's beautiful. Everyone's talking about women's rights and they're talking about uh, these really important subjects. But we're not really working together as much as we could. A lot of us don't even know about each other. And some are working together. Some have really amazing alliances and are putting on events together. And uh, it's wonderful. And there's a lot of different uh, worldwide organizations already, like focused on one specific thing. And I think it's just, it would be beautiful to have this repository of this is, these are all the organizations. And that in the, in so doing, we'd be able to reach out to each other. And because we've had that face-to-face -face interaction, it's then... Um, it's then, a, it's then a more meaningful connection. So it's not like I'm saying, oh, hey, Drew, like, we've never met. We've only talked on by email. Can you help me out with something? It's not very likely. You might say, okay, cool. Like, I buy into your vision. Um, maybe I'll help you out a bit. But if we've actually sat here and talked to each other, then I, can, then I can approach you in a different way. And we can help promote each other's activities. And we can support each other and lean on each other. And I think that's a really, really beautiful thing. And it makes sense to do so. We're not constantly reinventing the wheel because we don't need to do that. We all have these great ideas. We're all doing these big and beautiful things. So if we just work together and know who's actually out there, which is the first step of working together, who's actually out there and what are they doing and, and do it does our do our visions align, then we can actually get some really cool stuff done. So it seems to me um, like a long-term goal of women in tech world. So one thing, of course, would be um, collecting data, mm -hmm. kind of yes. get a get an idea of where are we now yeah. um, and a better idea than we currently have because, yeah. as you said, you know, we don't have these formal studies. Um, and definitely not qualitative, so definitely not lived experience. We have the surveys that say, like, how many people went into STEM field uh, educational programs and how many people are now working in certain, in certain occupations that are considered to be tech. But we don't have as much and not – well, not in, like, a really – uh, it's all written down in one way, kind of, <laughs> kind of way. Um, we don't have that, that uh, uh, qualitative data. So I haven't been around forever, but it does kind of seem to me like it's a kind of a new moment in history where a lot of individual places are arising or groups are arising to encourage women in tech, whether mm -hmm. that's to provide a safer a safer space uh, or a welcoming space or um, to say, you know, this is some, this is a field we should be in. Why is it important to have initiatives like this? Why is it important to address maybe an issue of gender disparity? Uh, we see, I think, a, a lot of places, if you look at most tech companies, having gender equality would be a, a, a rare sight in yeah. most places. Yeah. I mean, I'm, there may be some, but yeah. from what I've seen. Um, that's a really big question. It is, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just going to touch on my personal uh, belief, which is that, I, I mean, ideally, these organizations wouldn't have to exist. Ideally, it would just be acceptable and ingrained in us to have every type, every every person around the table. So to me, if you're sitting in a room and you're making decisions, it makes the most sense to have the most amount, uh, to have all these different diverse opinions sitting at the table, because otherwise, we're just going in circles and we can't create new ideas. So it's a matter of bringing everyone to the table because it just makes sense. I think something that I'm, I've am i noticed in tech mm -hmm. is that it's also unlike uh, a lot of things that we've seen throughout history where with tech, uh, we have a chance to really sort of create our own universe uh, in a lot of ways. We right. have a chance to contribute to something bigger than ourselves, right. but to actually be building things, whether that's you know a company or 
Facebook a, a way that people communicate. Yeah. Uh, we're very much shaping our own realities. Right. And I think it's it's incredibly important to get everybody uh, who's willing to listen involved in that yeah. because we all have a chance yeah. to contribute to making the new reality. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, it's important that everybody sees that for what it is yeah. and that we get people on board. And I think traditionally we have societies that have catered to, um, I mean, if we look at some of the, the older laws and the way that things were, right. even 50 years ago, it seems crazy by today's standards that women and men were treated so differently, stay home, uh, be a homemaker, mm -hmm. don't get an education. You know, I, I think that having, I don't know if it, it's a sense of entitlement to education. It shouldn't be right. a sense of title entitlement to education or science or to pushing those things. But at the, on the other hand, technology is not just about being a nerd, for example, <laughs> in, in a bad way. I mean, that word's actually becoming quite a good thing these it days. It is, but, yes. Um, but I, I, I really see that like it's about about building and creating the future. Yeah. And you want to have every single opinion around the table to do that, yeah. in my opinion. Like we just, everyone has their own way of looking at the world and everyone has their own ideas to bring. Well, whether you want it or not, I mean, I think ideally you probably do. Mm -hmm. I think on the other hand, everyone's affected by that. And so if you're going to be affected by that, wouldn't you want to have a say? Yeah. And you can. There's nothing to stop you from, yeah. from that. I don't know. I, I think that's what it, where I'm kind of starting to see this. On the other hand, I sometimes feel with some events that are um, women in tech focused, you know, if I go to a regular event, mm -hmm. quote unquote regular event, mm -hmm. it doesn't say men in the title, but I guess that's kind of what it is. You yeah. know, um, <laughs> I hadn't noticed it as a as a male, I guess I just I don't notice that sort of thing. But if I see a, a women uh, tech event, yeah. I don't necessarily feel comfortable going there. Yeah. Um, and I've thought sometimes, you know, would it be appropriate to have a women and men in tech? sort of meetup or, or things like that. And I'm not really sure. I definitely do appreciate that there, the need for women in tech or mm -hmm. uh, women mm -hmm. in coding sort of initiatives yeah. has arisen. Yeah. Uh, and that, that makes sense. And maybe it already is inclusive. Uh, this has been a very interesting question for me, having come into women in tech world as the co-chair of communications and trying to, and realizing that this question was coming up um, about can men come? And for women in tech world, yes, absolutely. Our events are our events are all inclusive, and we want everyone to come to them that feel that they that they are interested in the topic or they just want to be a part of it. Um, so it was really difficult to get that across. And one thing what that we did do was bring in male speakers. Um, so uh, Colin from Mantox did one of our WinTech Summit um, speech, speak, uh, speaker segments. Uh, so, but I did try to say, and sometimes I did specifically say, "Men, please come." <laughs> and it's one of these things that. Uh, it's interesting. So I also put on, um, pitch nights every month or I help in putting on pitch months every month, uh, pitch nights. I help in putting on pitch nights every month, um, for, for local startups who want to practice their pitch. And I'd gone to about 10 of them when I realized that every time I looked around the room, I was the only woman in the room, or there might be, I don't know, three other women in a room of 50 and usually not female pitchers. There'd been maybe one female pitcher in the time I'd been going to them. And I'd started with women in tech world. So I think that's where my lens had shifted when I was looking around this room and realized, oh my goodness, like what if we, I wonder if there is an interest to do women's pitch nights. Ideally, again, that would not have to be a thing. And we could just call it a pitch night and everyone would feel welcome to come. So my first question was, why aren't women coming to the pitch nights? So is it just that they uh, raise money in a different way? Or is it that, that they don't feel comfortable? Or what is it? So start asking those, those kind of questions. 
Um, and it was a combination of a lot of different things. But one of them was when I go to these other events that they don't say men in them, but, you know, we assume that most of them are going to be predominantly male. Uh, I don't feel comfortable um, networking. I feel like it's a different networking style. Um, I feel like it's it's just I feel excluded from like the old man's club, even though it's not at least in those events, not really an old man's club. But there's that perception and also um uh doing their pitch in front of a, an entirely male audience felt awkward in some way and they felt more safe if there had been more women in the room so we said we kind of did this pilot woman's pitch night and in the commu- communications i very specifically said women pitchers only um however we want everyone in the room like we're all about inclusive inclusivity and diversity within this community so men please come <laughs> and i'd, I'd kind of like played around with the wording and said like can I say that? Can I say, men, please come to our event? It seems like really direct and ridiculous to have to say it, but got the feedback that yes, I like if you say that, then I know I can come. And the first one, it was mostly men who were kind of supporting a female pitcher that was that was pitching that evening. We had about 100 people come to the event as part of Women in Tech Week. Um, but then the men came and they realized that it was a safe place for them to come as well. Uh, so by the second women's pitch night, we had about a 50-50 audience. And it's crazy to me that the women's pitch night has the 50-50 audience, but then the normal pitch night still, and there's more women coming, I would say, but it's still predominantly male, um, which is unfortunate to me because when you go to pitch your uh, pitch your idea or your company uh, to investors, generally it's going to be a male audience. So for females, it's important to be able to, to pitch to that audience unless you're going to like, the Raise Collective, which is an amazing Vancouver um, initiative of female investors only. But... It's one of these things where in the real world, it there's men and women everywhere. So we can't just segregate ourselves to women's only events and men's only events, in my opinion. And I know that that's not always, it's not, like, it's good to have women only events. It's good to have men only events because you get to interact in a different way. But I also think it's very important to have these these uh, co-ed <laughs> events because that's real life. Yeah, definitely. Some things that I'm kind of quite curious about um, is... You know, especially in the office where where I'm working, which it's predominantly male. Mm-hmm. I think we have maybe twenty percent female. Right. I guess that that makes it hard. So if we have an event, for example, uh, maybe drink beer and play hockey sort of event, uh, how do we how do we make that an inclusive event, or do we change it to say, um, you know, maybe not play hockey or drink <laughs> not beer. necessarily because that's the thing is that a lot of women like to play hockey and drink beer and this mm-hmm. came up during uh one of our q a sessions at women in, during women in tech week is a woman said i like to go to beer night so let's not get rid of those mm-hmm. but the point is asking like asking the community like what do you guys want to do right um so it's, it's not it's it's just that you have more than just beer and hockey night maybe you have another kind of night uh that is more inclusive to the broader range of people but, I mean, everyone has different interests. So it's a matter of asking them, I think. I think making it a safe space to uh, for them to answer honestly as well. So that's that's a whole other question. And I don't know all the science behind or all the all the ways to do that. But it's um, it's just it's just asking and asking authentically. Like, like, yeah, you know what? We love our beer and hockey nights, but we realize that there's other things in the world as well that we could be doing as a team. And like, these are some ideas, but we'd love to hear your ideas. Uh, and let's, let's talk about it. Let's get in a room and talk about it. It sounds to me like a, a good way to get a better understanding uh, of where things are yeah. and uh, what to do with that is to collect data. 
Yeah. Know, like you said, yeah. go and ask people. Talk to people. And that's exactly <laughs> what um, Women in Tech World is doing yes. with this Kickstarter campaign. Yes. So if people are interested and they want to help out, uh, what are some ways they can do so? Uh, well, we're volunteer-led, um, so we're always looking for more volunteers. Right now we're looking particularly for provincial ambassadors for Manitoba and Saskatchewan, uh, but can always use help here in BC as well. Um, and there's lots of different events we're going to be putting on, both as part of Driving WinTech and also just WinTech World as an organization. We're going to put on a few events this summer uh, and then going forward throughout the fall and, and beyond. So uh, if you want to volunteer with us, we're happy to talk to you. And then uh, also, of course, we're looking for backers for the Kickstarter. We're 30% of the way to our goal right now. We have about 25 days left, I believe. So um, it'd be cool if you want to check that out. And uh, there's lots of different type of tiered rewards that you can check out and if you don't see one you like let me know and <laughs> I'll make one for you <laughs> um, but also we're looking for of course sponsorship and partnership opportunities um, and we we just want to have a conversation like if you're if you're interested in working with us uh, just um, email us call us and we'll I'm all about meeting in person and, and chatting it out so happy to talk so if people are interested in reaching out what are some good ways to do so uh, well we're on every social media channel. Uh, so at WinTech World. And then you can check out our website, which we'll put a link we'll put down a, down. a link because I don't know off by heart. <laughs> um, and then and then hello at womanintechworld.ca uh, is a good place to just reach out and say, hey, I want to get involved and we'll set up a conversation. Melanie Ewan of Women in Tech World. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Check out our website, vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Rate and subscribe on iTunes. Much appreciated. You can follow us on Twitter, Van Tech Podcast. Feel free to leave some comments below. You can also hit us up on the YVR Dev, the Vancouver Tech, the Van Tech Slacks. I'm at James. And I'm at Drew. Special thanks to Same Room for hooking us up with an integration that allows us to have a cross-team Slack channel, Van Devs. Do you have a meetup that you want us to plug? Email us, show at vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Music by A Shell in the Pit from the game Parkitect. See you at one of the meetups around, around town. town.